When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this morning we, we are wrapping up our Love the Lord sermon series where we've been centering our hearts and minds on what Jesus calls the greatest commandments. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at what it means to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Jesus calls this the first and greatest commandment. And this sort of commandment would have been familiar to Jesus' audience. They would have known part of this saying as the Shema Yahweh found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. These verses, they're easy to recite. Some of you know this. You've been working on committing them to your heart and your mind by having them posted on your bathroom mirror and on your refrigerator. These verses are easy to recite, but they're tough to live into. Truly loving God requires an inward transformation of our lives, and that is precisely what Jesus asks us to do, to love the Lord with all our heart by surrendering our whole heart to God. To love God with all of our soul by opening our souls to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To love the Lord with all of our mind by allowing our mind to be renewed by the Spirit and transformed by God. Again, these verses are easy words to recite, but they're tough words to live into. These words command discipline. They require us to exercise rigor and have a willingness to bring our whole lives before God in full surrender, easy to recite, tough to live into. And just when you think you've got it figured out that loving the Lord is really the end game of the Christian faith, Jesus ups the ante. He raises the stakes for us. He doesn't just say, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He goes further. He goes further. He asks us to love our neighbor as ourself, to love our neighbor as ourself. The phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, is found some eight times in the Bible if you're being conservative. You could expand it to 10 times if you really were taking notice. Throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told eight to 10 times to love our neighbors as ourself. Loving our neighbor as ourself is so important that God not only repeats himself in the scriptures, but that Jesus makes this a command for us. If loving your neighbor as yourself is so important that God would instruct us 10 times to do so, then we ought to consider, friends, just for a moment, how it is that we actually begin to love our neighbors well. And the crux of this command lies, at least for me and in my interpretation, in two words, as yourself. 
We are to love others the way that we would love ourselves, the way that we would care for ourselves. Now, lots of times we just brush off those two words. We just sort of sweep them away and shorten it to love your neighbors, to concentrate on the loving part. But oftentimes when we do that, um, loving our neighbors ends up being the same kind of love that we love Taco Bell with, right? Right? Like it's there late at night when, when you want it, but the rest of the time maybe you're shying away. You love your neighbor, but you let them live their lives apart from yours apart from any sort of real relationship. But Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That means we are to have the same care and concern for others as we do for ourself. And at first glance, loving our neighbors as ourselves may sound easy, but then you begin to meet a few people. Choir knows what I'm talking about, right? You begin to meet a few people who aren't like you, who don't dress like you or act like you or think like you, who don't share the same core values that you may share, and suddenly loving your neighbor as yourself gets a whole lot tougher. I mean, how in the world do you do that when you love someone who's not like you? How do you do that? It's a challenge, and yet that's exactly what Jesus does throughout the Gospels. He sets aside his power, he sets aside his position to come to us and to bring us salvation. If you're looking for a model of how to love your neighbor as yourself, friends, look to Jesus. He is the prime example. He didn't have to do what he did. Philippians makes that clear, right? That God did not have to leave his glory and descend to us to bring us salvation, but instead chose to. In order for us to love our neighbors as ourself, it begins with a choice to leave our power and to leave our position so that we could welcome others into our life and by welcoming them into our life, subsequently welcome them into the life of God. Friends, think about it. Jesus welcomes everyone. If you look through the Gospels, the rich and the powerful are welcome. The weak and the vulnerable are welcome. The young are welcome. The old are welcome. Saints are welcome. Sinners are welcome. And even, yes, lawyers are welcome, right? Pharisees, Sadducees, Samaritan women, they're all welcome in the presence of Jesus. They're all welcome. And Jesus demonstrates love for all of those that he meets by giving them words of grace sometimes, by giving them words of conviction sometimes, by challenging them sometimes. But Jesus always welcomed people into his presence and into a deepening relationship. Jesus knew how to love his neighbors well. And friends, I believe that we're going to have to begin learning how to love our neighbors well, if we're going to continue to be a church that is growing and attracts new people, scrap that word, attracts, welcomes new people. Because listen, friends, being the family of God is not about attracting new people. It's about welcoming everyone. It's about inviting those who are like us into God's presence 
as well as those who are nothing like us. But to do so requires some capacities that we might not have right now. Requires some capacities that we may have to develop over time in order to become individuals who are welcoming to others. In order to do that, in order to live into this commandment, I believe that we have to develop the capacity for curiosity as well as the capacity for empathy. I'm gonna say that again. If we want to love our neighbors well, then we have to develop the capacity for curiosity and for empathy. So let's talk just for a minute about curiosity and the power of curiosity. Curiosity at its core is a strong desire to know or to learn something. For us, loving our neighbors as we love ourselves has to begin with curiosity, this desire to learn and to know something about the people who are around us, perhaps the people that we bump into every single day throughout our lives, people that we might otherwise pass by. We have to begin developing a curiosity about them and about their lives in order to understand them, to understand what they think, what they feel, what they want, what they need. None of this can be discovered unless we have a healthy capacity for curiosity. Curiosity allows us to let go of our our preoccupation with ourselves, our self-centeredness, our infatuation with what we want and what we like, so that we can learn and know what our neighbors want and like. Curiosity allows us to see our neighbors and those around us as human beings, and not as things, as friends, not as thems. Even more, curiosity, it disarms our suspicion. Curiosity disarms our distrust. You can't be curious and suspicious at the same time. Those two are incompatible. And let's be honest, disarming our suspicion is a big deal these days because everyone seems to be so suspicious about everything. We feel at one time or another, we all have felt at one time or another, like someone may be out to get us or to get one over on us. Many of us are suspicious about our leaders, about the government, about the stock market, about our our corporations, about people from foreign nations, about all sorts of things. And our suspicion causes us to distrust others, to keep others at arm's length, and doing so prevents us from loving others well. We can't be suspicious and fulfill the greatest commandment. We can't be suspicious and love our neighbors as ourselves. It's impossible. Instead, we've got to increase our capacity for curiosity. I think this might be part of what Jesus means when he talks about having childlike faith. How many of you have children or grandchildren, or how many of you can remember back to when you were teeny tiny? Can, can you do that for a second? Do you remember how big the world was when you were maybe uh, three or four years old? Everything was new. Everything was exciting. I can remember driving home um, from PPEC here uh, with my oldest, um, asking her about her day. And she said, well, we learned something today. And it's like, well, tell me what you learned. Well, today we learn why the sky is blue. And I'm like, that's great. Why in the world is the sky blue? And Addie began to say, well, it's because of the, the, the spectrum of light that the atmosphere, uh, <laughs> I was like, whoa, whoa. 
It was this mind-blowing fact about how light reflects and refracts through our atmosphere in order to make the sky blue. And she was saying it with such enthusiasm. She was excited to know something new. When did we stop wanting to learn something new? When did we shut ourselves off to wonder? Because curiosity leads to wonder, friends. Curiosity leads us to a deeper place where we can grow and change. Curiosity is a capacity we have to develop in order to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. So how do you do that? If you can grow your capacity for curiosity, how can you do that? What are the practical steps? So I'm going to give you three this morning. The first one is this. You have to keep an open mind. Curiosity begins with an openness to new ideas, to new concepts, and new people. Keeping an open open mind doesn't mean that you abandon your convictions, but it does mean that you're open to learning from others. I'll give you an example of this. Um, Every morning when I get in the truck with our youngest um, to carry her to school, uh, we turn on 97.3. Any of y'all listen to 97.3? It's okay, don't raise your hands. Because I listen to the Kid Craddock in the morning show. And the reason I like Kid Craddock is because it keeps me um, interested in American, in American culture, in pop culture. It helps me be educated about what's happening in our world. And so I like to listen because I hear what Big Al Mack is doing and Kelly Raspberry is doing and, and so many other people who are personalities on their show and what's happening in show business and in culture. But every now and again, music begins to play music that I have a conviction about, because I think that our minds ought to be set on things that are noble and upright and uplifting that allow us to draw closer to God, and and my girls know that if certain songs come on the radio, we're flipping it immediately to 96.5, right? Like, we're going to, right? Because I'm curious about our culture. My girls are curious about our culture, but we have conviction about what should and shouldn't be sung. It's okay to be curious and to retain your convictions. Don't miss this, friends. Curiosity is not an all-or-nothing thing. You can be curious and hold on to your convictions, but you have to begin with an open mind to ask, what is this about? And not in an angry tone of voice, but with a chuckle behind it. What is this about? What is happening in our world? So the first step is to keep an open mind. The second thing we can do to expand our capacity for curiosity is not to take things at face value. Often we write off that which we don't understand or we don't like. We devalue that which we dislike. The church has fought wars over the things that people like and dislike throughout the centuries. The most recent one, um, over music, right? Whether or not contemporary music was appropriate in the church. Churches divided and split and ceased to be because of worship wars, because someone said there's no value in that type of music. There's no value in that style of worship. But what if you dig a little bit deeper, which is what curiosity calls us to do, to look past our biases for deeper meaning, to look past the surface, to see what there is to learn. Because I believe everything in our culture, everything in our world has something that we can learn. So first, we've got to keep an open mind, and we've got to not take things at face value. And third, we've got to learn to ask questions. 
Now, I know there's a number of educators in the congregation this morning, and I've got to imagine that the hardest thing for you to teach your students is to have the courage to raise their hand and to ask a question. Because as a student, I know that I was afraid to raise my hand and for someone to think that I'm not smart, for someone to think that I don't get it or that I've missed the point, to be embarrassed because of the question that I asked or the thought that I might have. I know that insecurity. Maybe you know that insecurity too. But if if we're gonna increase our capacity for curiosity, we have to summon the courage to ask questions, to ask our neighbor, what's that about? Can you tell me why it is that you do this or you do that? We have to be willing to ask questions. Loving our neighbor as ourselves begins with developing the capacity for curiosity and continues with developing the capacity for empathy. And empathy is a word that's being thrown about in our culture, whether it's leadership culture or or just listening um, on the television. It's a word that gets said again and again and again. And I think a lot of people hear the word empathy and they shake their heads like, oh, we all know what it means to be empathetic, when we really don't. So a lot of people are saying the word, but don't know the difference between compassion, sympathy, and empathy. And empathy is simply this. It's the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. I first ran into the concept of empathy when I was in high school and and was required to read, excuse me, required to read To Kill a Mockingbird. You remember To Kill a Mockingbird? If if you don't or you haven't read it, you've got homework to do. (laughs) Read To Kill a Mockingbird. In the third chapter, Atticus Finch gives some advice to Scout. And this is what Atticus Finch says. He says, first of all, if you can learn a simple trick, Scout, you'll get along a lot better with all kinds of folks. You never really understand a person until you consider things from his point of view, until you climb into his skin and walk around in it. Empathy is that ability to understand how a person feels by seeing and feeling things from their point of view. Empathy allows us to see the joys, the pains, the hurts, and the needs of others. And neuroscientists say that empathy happens when two parts of our brain actually work together. The emotional center perceives the feelings of others, and the cognitive center of our brain tries to understand why they feel that way and how we can be helpful to them. And while you might not be a very empathetic person right now, I know sometimes I'm not empathetic, Empathy is, again, a capacity that can be grown. Empathy can be learned. You can grow your capacity to see and feel the world the way others see and feel the world. So how do you do that? Well, the first thing you have to do is this. You have to talk to people. You have to talk to people. And not just about the weather, right? As I was walking around this morning, I was doing this on purpose. I talked a lot about the weather, right? Because the weather's easy to talk about. When you talk about the weather, you're not going very deep. In fact, you're staying very shallow. But I think Jesus asks us to have deep relationships with people, the same kind of deep relationships he invites us into, to have deep relationships with the people that we see day in and day out so that we know and understand the world in which they live. Empathy 
It's about trying on new perspectives. It's useful to get exposed to lifestyles and worldviews and life experiences that are different than our own. And when it comes to loving our neighbors, it's not just useful, it's essential. When it comes to loving our neighbors, we're called to build deep connections with others so that we can understand them, their wants, their needs, their desires, and in return, love them well. But the key here, again, is to be genuinely curious, to ask open-ended questions, and to pay attention to how the other person is feeling by watching their reactions, their facial expressions, their body language, their tone of voice. And you don't have to go out and find someone that you've never met before to begin asking deeper questions. There's people that you see all of the time that you would say you know, but you really don't know anything about. I've got a habit of going to the same gas stations. Do you do this? I go to the same gas stations, and I usually, when I go to the gas station, I get a drink from the fountain. It's usually a Diet Coke, and and I have this habit of trying to learn the names of the people who are behind the counter. And after I learn their names, I try to ask them, how's it going? And sometimes you just get good. But after someone's seen you enough times and you've asked them enough times, how's it going? That likes should begin to tell you how it's going. And some days you'll walk in and you'll see that person behind the counter and their face will be downcast. And in that moment... Instead of asking them, how's it going? You have the opportunity to ask, are you okay? What's going on here? And in that moment, you just might have the opportunity to not only welcome someone into a deepening relationship with you, but to invite them into a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. But if we are content to live our lives on the surface and never enter into deep relationships with people, we will miss out. We'll miss out on the beauty and complexity of life. And we'll miss out on the opportunity to love our neighbors well. So first, we have to be willing to talk to people and not just about the weather. And the second thing we have to do is we have to start trying new things. Now, before you all sign up for skydiving lessons later on in the afternoon... I want to tell you that you, again, don't have to do anything radical to try something new. Trying something new could be as simple as changing up the place you sit in the coffee shop. To sit in a different place, among different people, so you can hear their stories and learn what motivates them. It it may mean that you just shift coffee shops altogether. So you go to a new place with some new people, again, to learn new stories. Maybe it means that you go to a restaurant you've never been to before or you interact with people who are from a different culture. Maybe it means volunteering in a new place, serving in a place you've never served before. Not just for the sake of serving or doing something new, but with a posture of openness toward others. So you can learn what others see, feel, and experience. Rather than just imagining yourself in someone else's shoes, Why not try them on and take a walk to see how they feel by putting yourself in proximity with the lost and the hurting and the broken? Here's the third thing. Be present and pay attention. Finally, an excellent way to increase your capacity for empathy is by learning to be mindful. Now, mindfulness, again, is one of those pop culture words that's out there. But I think Jesus 
was incredibly mindful. He was not only aware of what was happening inside of himself, but he was also aware of what was happening in the crowds of people who were around him. Throughout the gospel, Jesus is aware of what other people are thinking and feeling around him. Whenever Jesus is standing before the great crowds teaching, he realizes that they are hungry and he responds by feeding them. When Jesus is standing at the tomb of Lazarus and everyone around him is crying and weeping because their friend Lazarus has died, Jesus doesn't just yell, Lazarus comes out. He first begins to weep because he senses the pain of his friends, those whom he is in deep relationship with. And the scriptures say he has compassion on them. Jesus was mindful in every moment He's always aware, even in the most chaotic of moments in his life and ministry, he remains centered and aware of who he is and who he is above the noise around them so that he can offer words of healing and hope and life to those who have been broken. When our minds are cluttered and chaotic, it can be difficult for us to notice our own feelings and the feelings of others. But practicing mindfulness can help calm your mind, can cause you to become more aware and better connect with those who are around you. But in order to do that, you've got to do something radical. At least to practice mindfulness in the best way possible, I think. That is to pray. And not just the sort of prayer that's one long list of all the things you want God to do for you, but simply sitting in silence, listening to the voice of God speaking to your heart, to your pain, to your heartache, so that you remember that the very thing you're trying to offer to others is the very thing that Jesus has offered to us. We need to be present in the moment. We need to listen to what's going on inside of ourselves so that we can help others learn, grow, and be welcomed into a relationship with Jesus. Curiosity and empathy open our hearts and lives to others. They create the capacity within us to love our neighbors as ourselves because we not only know our neighbors, but we understand how they feel and what they're going through. I believe that becoming more curious and more empathetic is critical for us as we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves. And friends, more neighbors are coming into our neighborhood. I'm actually preaching this message a couple years early because there's about 30,000 people who are gonna be headed this way in the next five to seven years. And we're gonna have the tremendous opportunity to enter into deep relationships with them in the same way Jesus has allowed us to enter into a deep relationship with him. But we have to develop the capacity for curiosity to disarm our suspicion and empathy so that we can know how to meet the needs of those we bump into every day. Jesus says, the whole law and prophets hang on loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and loving our neighbors as ourself. Because love is the fulfillment of the law. Friends, today, let's begin getting curious and becoming more empathetic for the sake of expanding God's kingdom and welcoming others into deepening relationships with us and with Christ. Would you pray with me this morning?
Lord, for far too long we have dug into the first of the greatest commandments of loving you well. But we've ignored the second part. Because God, we admit that at times it's inconvenient to love others. It's tough to meet the needs of others. God, develop within us capacities for curiosity and empathy that we might more fully, the, more fully love those we see every day. Allow us not to be overcome with suspicion or with our biases, but instead be overcome with your love that invites, welcomes, and makes a place for the stranger so that they might know salvation and eternal life in you. Lord Jesus, be with us as we seek to be your kingdom people. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.